Hello, I'm Sahel Mirza, and welcome to this episode in Season 2 of Voices of Care. My guest today is Claire Teeny, Chief People Officer at University Hospitals of Leicester NHS Trust. Claire, thank you very much uh, for joining us and uh, travelling down to London to meet us. Hi, it's good to be here. Pleasure. Before we go into some of the substantive issues, uh, it'd be great if you could just paint a picture at UHL. It's uh, one of the larger trusts serving over a million people in Leicester, Leicestershire and Rutland and across acute and uh, community hospital settings. Um, yes, so as you've said, University Hospitals of Leicester is an NHS trust based up in the Midlands. Um, we employ um, about 20,000 um, colleagues, both in substantive posts and um, colleagues who also work on our flexible bank. Um, we've got three acute hospital sites and a number of smaller sites across Leicester and Leicestershire, and we provide a range of services to the local community. We also work in collaboration with a number of health and care providers and other NHS organisations. Um, we are typically what you would expect to find in terms of an acute hospital, and in terms of our workforce, we employ people in a number of roles, both in pr those roles providing clinical care, but also a number of support services, HR, finance, procurement. So um, we are what you would typically find in an acute hospital. And a very busy one, as you say, uh, as is typical around this uh, period. Now, we have uh, Victoria Atkins as our fifth health secretary in less than two years, the NHS workforce crisis has been uh, commented upon now for quite some time, 130,000 vacancies, uh, elective uh, backlog. As a chief people officer tasked with really empowering the workforce, growing the workforce, how has that impacted you? Is the crisis really pervading right across the workforce? Um, so I would say that there's a few things um, in terms of that comment that happen in, in parallel. So yes, there are some key shortages in terms of the workforce and have been. Some of the specialist roles, some of the challenges around maternity services, for example. We also find in roles um, in such jobs as pharmacy that there are challenges there. Um, because uh, pharmacy roles, um, there are private providers, there's different ways that people can work into those jobs as well. So yes, there are challenges. Equally, um, with that, I think wherever there's a challenge, there's a great opportunity. Um, and in Leicester, we have seen um, quite a number of successes, actually. So our ability to recruit more recently has improved and we've seen um, that there has been a big improvement in terms of some of the retention of our workforce. Um, so it doesn't mean that we don't have our challenges, but I think that you have to look at those and think about, well, what are the things that we can do to make things better? Um, in terms of Leicester, we, um, we provide to services to a hugely diverse population. And in terms of the colleagues that work with us at University Hospitals of Leicester, we have um, a really diverse um, workforce. I think that um, I had a look last week and I think that we employ people um, from around the globe from 157 different countries of origin. Um, and I think that the diversity of our workforce provides us with a huge richness. The culture, the experience of people working at Leicester is, is really great. We have had huge successes in terms of a lot of our international recruitment. 
Um, but with that, I think that we've not done as well in terms of building those local relationships, that employment locally, some of the work that we need to do with our um, universities. And that's an area that we need to focus on, I think, now. Well, I look forward to delving into that a little bit more detail um, under your new uh, strategy, which you've uh, launched in October uh, this year. There's also, of course, a, a radically different environment. Uh, the long-term workforce plan uh, is uh, some months old now. A massive increase uh, in terms of numbers, staffing numbers, 360,000 over the next 15 years. The use of apprenticeships, massive increases in terms of nursing and also associate uh, medical roles, etc. Again, as a chief people officer, I guess there's a lot of promise uh, in that vision, but a lot of work to do in terms of the detail. Yeah, so... Um as a, as a Chief People Officer, it's always great to see a national plan, a national focus and a national drive behind some of the workforce um, initiatives. So that, that's really good. Within the plan, there is a big focus around um, some of what we need to do domestically in terms of supporting and growing our own workforce. Um, I think some of the detail that we've got to work through is about how we do that with education providers. Um, my own view is that I think that um, some things have got to change around the education, training and development arrangements that we have in, in place for clinical roles. I think we've got to see um, a much earlier focus on how um, we use digital technology to better enable the way people work and really build that into education programmes. And I think that we also need support to change other things. So some of the arrangements that currently sit around the apprenticeship levy and some of the flexibilities that are and aren't in that um, are things that we need to look at to really enable us to deliver um, that workforce plan. Yeah, and I think, as you say, it's a question of re-envisioning perhaps some of the training, which I, I'm keen to explore. And, and I'd like now to turn to the strategy that you published for 2023 to 2030. Uh, I think the forward from your chief executive talked about the idea of it being an ambitious plan and in his words to deliver radical change. So it's been quite an uh, exercise in getting that ready. You've been listening to a lot of stakeholders. Can you just set the scene in terms of that strategy and we'll then dive into some of the details that you've touched upon? Yeah, so the vision for um, UHL is that we will be leading in healthcare and trusted in communities. Um, the strategy really sets out some different ambitions about how we deliver healthcare locally and how we do that through much more effective partnerships and collaboration. Um, an area of focus within that is about UHL being a great place to work. We recognise that the delivery of clinical services can only happen if we have the right workforce to, to enable us to, to do that. Um, What's really great about the strategy is I think it does set some different levels of, of ambition. I think it does challenge us to think about how we think about things differently and how we might do things in a different way. Um, it also sets out um, some of the how. Mm. So as part of developing the strategy, I should say as well, the strategy was was co-produced and co-created with colleagues that work in the organisation and with key stakeholders and a lot of community engagement and community um, input. The same time as developing the strategy, we also refreshed our trust values. 
Um, and that sets the tone really for how we want to work. So there's a big emphasis around our values of, of teamwork, collaboration, and as being inclusive and compassionate. As I was going to touch upon the compassionate, we are compassionate, and that's a refreshed set of values. I wanted to talk about well-being and flourishing. The, the, the stats are very, very clear. Tremendous pressure for the workforce in terms of burnout, etc. Et um, we've got the People Promise and the NHS People Plan some years now. So again, if you can elaborate on how on the how part of t- in terms of being compassionate and allowing people to flourish and being their best self version of themselves from a well-being perspective you're doing a number of things yeah so so some of that starts with um it's actually linked to recruitment and retention Mm. um actually so um we need to make sure that we um to use the term we right size the workforce i think so um People can only thrive at work if they feel that they are well supported, but actually if they feel they've got the right equipment to do their their jobs and also um, if they don't feel that they're too stretched and too overwhelmed. So some of that is about making sure that we've got the right capacity and capability to deliver. Within that, um, when we talk about strategies and ambition, I think sometimes you can think, right, what does that mean in terms of great, you know, let's, what we really aim for. But what we've not lost sight of at UHL is that you have to make sure that you have um, a, a kind of fundamental and relentless um, pursuit of making sure you get the basics right. So what that generally means for people at work is that we take away all of the things that they that people don't need to do in their jobs that may be a distraction for them to enable them to focus on purely doing their job so that is around having great systems and processes that support people while they're at work so paying people accurately and on time removing paper not not having people chase down forms and having to fill things in so that they can simply maintain their employment record all of those things that sit around a person we have a real programme of work to make sure that they are done, they are done well, and people don't need to feel distracted or hassled by them so that when they come into work, they can focus purely on the things that they need to do. So the fundamentals to facilitate them actually delivering. You, you talked very passionately earlier around the context of uh, inclusion and how important that is. Now, the wider policy uh, context, of course, we've had uh, Dr Naveen Evans, Amanda Pritchard introduce the NHS EDI Improvement Plan. Uh, with some very lofty goals to make a, a transformation in terms of how people are treated fairly, including people from abroad. Now, uh, Leicester is, uh, I think, the first plural city uh, in the UK. Uh, I think the 2021 uh, census had, I think, 94 languages spoken. So it's an imperative anyway. But I know from your perspective, there's a lot that you're doing to ensure that as wider cohort from as wide and diverse uh, segment of the population not only engage with but perhaps see themselves as having a career within the NHS. Yeah so we want to make sure that um, in terms of being a great place to work at UHL that that is an experience for everybody that works in the organisation and of course that means lots and lots of different things. Um, Inclusion for us means that as part of that we want to support everybody's experience to be as good as it can be. Um, And we have done quite a lot of work to ensure that we are an employer that has um, employment opportunities that can be accessed locally. 
um, from our local community. So we talked about um, circa 20,000 plus people that work with the organisation. Um, a number of people um, that work with the organisation are employed and uh, live locally. Um, but a number of the population have never worked at UHL and um, have families and friends that have never worked at UHL. And so what we have been doing is working with local community providers to start to um, ensure that people can access employment and training opportunities in a different way. So we've fundamentally changed how we recruit and where we recruit. And we've done that with the support of a number of local partners. So that's the promotion as well as the pathway, because there's some, you've literally gone out in the community to provide a, a familiar path, I think. Yeah. So um, we've worked with um, local community groups. We've done some recruitment in local libraries. We had an, a recruitment event in a local library where over 200 people came along and, um, and wanted to explore employment opportunities with us. We wouldn't, we've not had that kind of success before and that opened up the opportunity to come and work to UHL to people that have never worked there before or wouldn't have considered it. What that also means is that we know that there is a key national priority in healthcare about addressing health um, equality. Um, the pandemic shone a light on health inequalities and it was particularly an issue in diverse communities and we know that deprivation also is a factor that affects health equality. Um, sometimes uh, a big acute hospital can have a number of barriers just by its very being to people and it isn't by its nature necessarily accessible. If people feel that they are able to come and work with us and have a good experience of working with us, then that opens up that accessibility. And so if we can employ people who, have, who uh, live with families and friends who've never worked at the organisation before, that of itself starts to break down that barrier. And it starts, to build, yeah, it starts to build a relationship. And not only does it serve them from an employment perspective, it encourages people probably to access healthcare where they wouldn't have necessarily done um, previously. So, so the two are, are interlinked and they're important for that reason. Um, one of the other key pieces of work that we have been doing is working more closely with some of our education providers. Um, we've worked quite closely with two local colleges that support young people with um, intellectual and learning disabilities. Um, we've had a, a classroom facility on site at the Leicester Royal Infirmary and um, we've had a cohort of young people, we did the first cohort last year, a cohort of young people that have spent their last academic year with us at UHL, both finalising their academic studies and also undertaking work placements and work experience for us. And um, all of those young people have then gone on either to employment with us, employment with other organisations or on to further education. So it's been hugely successful. This year we've extended that programme um, to continue to work with the college but also to work with another, another provider. Um, that provides employment opportunities for, for young people that I don't believe would have otherwise been there. It's also been hugely powerful um, as in terms of a, um, our own workforce supporting those young people. 
Um, it's really um, opened up how we do things. It's educated us as to some of the adjustments that we um, quite rightly need to make in terms of some of the roles. It's challenged us about how flexible are we as an employer and how can we do things better. And of itself, it's been a huge education um, for us. And the colleagues that have been mentors as part of that programme have really got a lot out of that work. And that of itself means that, that their, their experience of work has been really motivating and rewarding as well. So it's a meritorious cycle yeah. as an anchor institution yeah. in a major yeah. employer. No, it's, it's, it's really inspiring to hear about it. And I think they're tangible... They're tangible things that mm. we can say, well, actually, when we talk about inclusion, what does that actually mean mm. in practice? And we can say, well, we have done this programme um, for young people. We have done these recruitment initiatives out in local communities. I think you have to be able to describe real things that people can relate to that translate what you're saying in a strategy into practice. Rather than just simply words and principles. Um, I wanted to turn on next to the vision of the the growth of the workforce the upskilling of the workforce the importance that you mentioned earlier uh, which is is a golden thread for me running through the long-term workforce plan in terms of thinking differently about training and education i want to begin with the uh, observation that the majority of your workforce uh, I think band two to five the the rhetoric and the coverage in the media tends to be clinicians and the way we need to improve the numbers which I think nobody disputes but there's a significant part the largest part of the workforce I think it is a big focus for you in terms of how do we address those people's needs and allow them to play a huge part in this transformation within the NHS. Yes so you're absolutely right the majority of our workforce in terms of numbers I think it's approximately 12,000 our colleagues that are employed in Agenda for Change, bands two to five. Um, What does that mean? Well, the first thing is that um, that means that they are the majority of colleagues that are providing everyday support and care to people that use our um, health and care services at UHL. Um, I believe as a CPO that you have to create absolute stability in that part of the workforce. If you don't, then that is where actually you do see burnout in other roles. You see people overstretched in in other roles. You see much more turbulence in teams. You see a massive impact on turnover. So that for me is where you always have to focus and make sure that there is that, that stability. And that's some of what we have been doing, which is why I think that we've seen some improvements in other aspects of of what we do because it has a massive impact on everyone else that that works there. Um, I think the work for us to do going forward is about then how we can be really creative to properly enable development, career opportunities, training and education provision for people that may have joined Mm. into those roles but do want the opportunity to develop and progress and I don't think we've got that bit right. No and that I think takes me on to the point that you mentioned around the idea that the current training um, and development and career pathways are are, are good and people are flourishing in many ways but if we're going to turn the dial to have 360,000 extra workforce uh, in the next 15 years if we're going to be able to renew the budget commitment every two years um, then you touched on it earlier digital technologies immersive learning 
how are we going to facilitate the people who do the training to have the bandwidth and time to do it? So maybe that's an area perhaps that needs expansion with your experience over these many years. What do you see as being required from that digital training perspective? So I think the first thing that I would say about that is we've got to be much more flexible about how and where people can learn and how we do that. And and, and some of the some of the um, observations around that are where we had the trainee nursing associate program mm. that allowed flexibility for people to work and also train and then do a top up for further qualifications i personally believed that having that sort of flexibility around people being able to work and then pursue education and development works really well um, and i think that's where it becomes much more scalable I think that the thing that we've got to get into and that will be quite challenging is about how we fund opportunities for people to work and then also make it worthwhile for them to be away from the workforce and properly service their education. And I, and I do think that, that there's a real tension sometimes in, in terms of some of that and that's what we've got to get over, that's what we've got to explore. Um, I think that we've also got to think about how we provide people with technology mm. to work in a digital way. And we, there is, there's got to be much more cohesiveness, in my view, between what people learn in schools and how they do that, and then how that translates into higher and further education opportunities. My own view at the minute is that we have got, we are still far too traditional I think in terms of how we run our clinical education programs I think some of it's changing but I think we need to start to put some creativity and impetus around how that changes much more quickly um, uh, I think that's got to happen and it's not just the new roles of I an mean, associate physician apprenticeship routes uh, it's also as you say the actual delivery and preparing people from a younger age to be more cognizant of the different ways that digital technologies can support education as you say in a tailored flexible way yeah it's also got to be that um that organizations have got to i think open up their thinking as to how people can work differently what new roles might look like so we've talked about new and different roles for some times mm. i think um physicians associates i, I want to say probably a decade or so ago that the concept came over from um, America. Um, there are academic programs that support that um, across the country, um, but I don't believe it's an area that in the last 10 years has particularly scaled up in a way that it was first envisaged that it, it would do. And now we're talking about it again. So I think we've got to have a really honest conversation that if we are going to provide opportunities for people to work in different way, in different roles, what that's going to look like and are we going to enable people into those jobs in workplaces or are we just going to continue doing what we're doing? And, and I think getting into some of the discussion about how we really translate the NHS long-term plan into practice and what that's going to look like and starting to quantify that is the next place that we've got to go and I think chief people officers have got a real role in terms of doing that. Um, and 
that also, I think, is just very finely uh, on your strategy. You talk about partnerships, establishing partnerships to make an impact. This would perhaps be one area where um, that radical thinking is uh, required. So I think this it's that scenario. I think some of the other areas where we could get into a um, much better place about how we might think radically and how we might think differently are around social care provision mm-hmm. and what that what that looks like. There is always a bit of a tension and a, de- and a debate locally around, well, if if NHS um, pay deals are discussed and arranged and then for care support worker roles into, um, say, uh, an NHS hospital, mm. means that people can earn more money there than they can do in social care. It just creates a bit of a, a churn and we're, we're just, you know, moving people across from one sector um, to another, so I think we do need radical change in terms of how we work together um, in a much more creative way that enables that. I think we need to um, really get into the space of having people that can have employment opportunities and jobs that work across both of those sectors. So I think that there's that, and also within primary care, I think there's a real opportunity for us to have um, much more rotational roles where we have people that work from hospitals into primary care and back round again. So I think that we've, that's, they're the spaces where we can take some ownership, put some leadership in and really take those roles forward. So lots for uh, Chief People Officers uh, to do in the future. Uh, on that note, Claire, thank you so much for coming down and sharing your wisdom and your time. It's been a pleasure. Um, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Likewise. If you've enjoyed this episode of Voices of Care, please like, follow or subscribe wherever you receive your podcasts. And if you want to find out more about how we are truly enabling the healthcare workforce of the future, please visit newcrosshealthcare.com forward slash Voices of Care. In the meantime, I'm Sahel Mirza. Thank you very much and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.